Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In this uh, series, we're doing call devotion. Uh, I don't know exactly when it will end. Uh, after we had uh, Simone with us last week, and he told us never to take the graphic down and left the stick on stage, I'm wondering if we'll be talking about devotion until Jesus comes or something. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but anyway, um, what we've done each week is, is encourage you, hopefully you've already been doing it, but if you have not, we've been trying to encourage you to be doing personal devotions every day. And for you to be sensitive and allowing God to speak to your heart. And, and for you to be willing to uh, share with us uh, some each Sunday. We don't have time for everyone to. Uh, but uh, we'd love to hear from you know four or five people or so each week to share something that God has impressed upon your heart as you've been doing your daily devotions. And then the message that, uh, that I've been bringing is based on a devotional also that I have read. Uh, now let me kind of stipulate something on that. I hope you understand that the devotions that I'm using, uh, it's not like a prefab sermon. <laughs> I'm reading a devotion about this long or so. Uh, and then from that, I'm developing the sermon with the scriptures and things like that to go with it. Uh, today, I'm not going to be in the same book I've been in, the Jesus uh, Today uh, devotional I've been using because I was opening up my Bible study software a few days ago. And uh, every time I open mine up, there's a devotional by Charles Spurgeon that's called Morning and Evening. And I read one uh, this past week that just really kind of uh, grabbed my heart. And that's what we're going to look at uh, today when I get to, to the message. But right now it's your turn. So uh, who will be the first? John's got the microphone up here. Who would be the first one to share something, to share a testimony about how God maybe spoke to your heart this past week? Um, <clears throat> I just want to say I'm blessed to have a church that will go out in the community and work. We did a service project on Saturday. And I was blessed. The uh, gentleman that we helped, he was blessed. His house was devastated. We showed up, and you could see the surprise in his eyes. And the verse I want to read is Luke one thirty seven. For nothing is nothing will be impossible with God. And I just want to let you know that while we were there working that he was on the phone and he was praising God to other people for what we were doing. And this verse means a lot to me because there's nothing that's impossible with God. And it's not what we want, but it's what he wants. And if you go through every day thinking that everything that I'm going through, God's already got it planned out. 
we just have to give it over to him and let him take over our lives. And I just want to say thank you for the men's group actually going out and helping people that are really suffering and doing what God wants us to, and that's going out and spreading the word through our actions, not by just telling people, but going out and physically showing them what God can do for them. And I had, a, I had more of a blessing than the gentleman that we helped because I saw God working all over the gentleman's house that we were helping, but also in that community because I saw other churches out helping. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is out helping other people that are suffering and not concerned about ourselves and the things that we have, but the the things that people don't have. And that's the word of God. And Joey, having said that, there's a lot more work to be done in that community, and uh, we'll be trying to schedule some more uh, some more events there. One of our, our church members that was with us yesterday morning uh, went back yesterday afternoon, took his tractor over there, and did work at this particular house and helped them uh, uh, burn the debris and things that they had there also. But there's tons of work to be done uh, over there still. Somebody else? I just wanted to share something with you this morning that I run across during the devotional time this morning is the word Christian. What a great, great word Christian is. It is an emotional word causing one man joy, another man fury, causing one man peace, and another man turmoil. A dividing word increasingly drawing a line. Either a man is or he is not. He is either for or against. A unifying word, drawing together unlikely pairs in workplaces, neighborhoods, over one, one single bond. A defined word for each countless people have lived and countless people have died. Christian was labeled, coined by unbelievers as formed as ridicule. How beautifully God stole the victory from Satan, the very word used as a mockery, became the greatest privilege a man could boast. 2,000 years after a man called Jesus of Nazareth walked the streets of Jerusalem, two billion people alive on this earth today can call themselves by the ever-dividing, ever-uniting word, Christian. God is still scattering the seeds of few righteous renegades planted in a city called Antioch, had they only known what they were starting. If anyone suffers a as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should by glorify God with that name. That is First Peter four sixteen. I don't think a lot of people take time to sit down and really think about what the word Christian means. As of going out sowing the seed, I would just like to share something that happened this past week with my my husband. Took him to see a doctor, and he hadn't seen him in six months from what he'd been going through the past six months with his heart. 
and having a fibrillator, a stent put in. And Dr. Lewis told him that he should not even be on this planet now. He should be in heaven. He said, the only thing I can tell you is that God was not ready for you yet. And I heard one of the best testimonies that I've ever heard in my life. He told Dr. Lewis that the greatest thing that happened to him was 2006 when God gave him a stroke. He was raised in a Christian church. His daddy was a preacher in the mountains. And he always believed in God. He believed in what Jesus done on the cross. But it took him 12 years, 12 years to this day, to have a personal relationship with the Lord, to even know who he is, what it means to feel in his heart what God has done to him. And also, he looks at Dr. Lewis and he told me, told Dr. Lewis, he said, I want to tell you something. I love this woman with all my heart. She cares for me every day because I'm not able to care for myself. But there's one thing I want to tell you. I love her more than anything in this world, but I love God more. And if he's ready to take me today, I'm ready to go because I am just like this. I'm just like this with my father. And that just, boy, it blowed me away. Because we're talking about a man that, that his grand total of a conversation is 12 words. You know, he don't talk very much. You can ask Diane here. She cuts his hair and he just don't, he just don't talk that much. But when you get him on the subject now of God and what God has done for him, I mean, it just blows my mind. And I've been with this man almost 40 years. Thank you. Man. Somebody else, just try and get in maybe one or two more. Hi, my name is Candy. I have been coming here for about a year. Um, my dad wanted us three girls to come for Father's Day. That was his gift because, you know, parents, they don't need anything. The only thing they want is us to come over and to see them. That's, that's their biggest gift is come see me, come see me. Well, so when I first started coming here, they were the reason why I came. It was the wrong reason. I came to make them happy because that's, I want to make them happy. Now I come to hear the word. It's, um, God has worked through me. I know they started it and I want them to be happy. But now every Sunday, I love to sleep and I really want to sleep in. But I know that I need to get up to come hear this because I'm a male chick. So I walk about 10 miles a day. And I'm tired. Well, my 650 customers look forward to seeing me because I serve them. I, I give them what they want. If they need anything, there's like, hey, male chick, can you give me this? I will go out of my way to do that. Well, I keep asking myself 
every day. Why don't I serve God that way? Why don't I give him everything that I give my parents, everything that I give my 650 customers? So that is my devotion every day. It changes because you know, post office is crazy. But I'm constantly praying, please help me serve you like I do my customers every day. So thanks, guys. Amen. Somebody else. I'll share something real quick. <clears throat> I um, this week, earlier this week, I'm going to ask you guys to pray for somebody I've never met named Ronnie. Um, <clears throat> this week, I contacted uh, a fellow on Craigslist about some music gear, and he's over in the Durham area, and uh, his name is Ronnie. And the interesting thing is, um, it, it was really strange. He's 20 years old. And, and I texted him about this music gear, and as a result, we've been texting back and forth, just talking about the music we play. He, I asked him all kinds of questions about what kind of music he did, and uh, then he started asking me. And when I told him I did Christian music, that started a spiritual conversation. So he's been talking to me about how his, um, he grew up in a Christian home, and his dad kicked him out of the house when he was 17, and um, because he... Because he departed from his faith and um so anyway it's been really interesting conversation and i know that uh, it's just really it's a really interesting circumstance and i just kind of figured that this is not an accidental thing uh for a random stranger to open up to you about their 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 family struggles and their spiritual life and all that sort of thing over a text message when you call about buying something that they that they have for sale. So um, anyway, I'm just going to ask you to pray for Ronnie and uh, pray for me that I have um, wisdom in, in how I approach that because one thing I can tell you about him is that um, he really doesn't want to hear anybody tell him why he needs to change uh, what he's doing or the way he's living or how he believes. And I told him, uh, I told him that I wasn't going to do that, but I do feel like the, that the... Uh, uh, relationship wasn't an accident, and so I'm going to try to I'm going to try to continue talking to him and interacting with him to see how that goes. But just please pray for Ronnie, and uh, pray for me that I have wisdom in handling that situation. Okay, so. Um, there's a couple of things that I, that I wanted to comment on this morning. One is the devotions that came out of Shimon's book. Um, I broke that down uh, day by day this last week. And what's really interesting is it grabbed me. It grabbed me for the pocket of lostness in number 84. It grabbed me for the pocket of lostness where I work. And it grabbed me for getting those people closer to God. I took several copies of that, uh, that pamphlet that he brought in, and I passed it out to people that I knew um, could share that with other people at work. And um, so, so spread that message. Spread that message of the closeness that we can a- achieve with God. 
um, the closeness that brought me to him. And um, the second thing I wanted to comment on this morning uh, that I didn't uh, share last week was um, Renee and I got the opportunity to go to church planters training in Raleigh uh, the previous week. And uh, that was an adventure in discovery for us. It was, uh, it was an eye-opener. Um, it talked about the amount of lostness in North Carolina. There are six million lost people in this state. It's amazing how many people. Um, and, and the problem is uh, it's not getting better, folks. We're closing churches as fast as we're planting them. So, folks, we've got to find a better way to reach people and get them closer to God. That's all I've got. Thanks. Amen. Be careful with random movements because that's twice. I thought I saw a hand. Somebody about got embarrassed. Next time, just hand them the mic. You know? Like at an auction, you better be careful. You, know, you make a move and you bid on something. Well, I've been reading in Ezekiel, um, but in combination with reading Ezekiel, God is keep putting into me Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I had the great privilege of being very blessed by God in that he's allowed me to see that difficulties and circumstances are going through are indeed a blessing from him. Because through this, he's teaching me a lot of things, and he's showing me things that I'm not doing right. He says, um, seek him first, and he'll provide for all your needs. Am I seeking him first in everything? The answer is no, I wasn't seeking him first in everything. Um, I uh, had struggled when I got married earlier this year to, um, how does that work? I was wholly devoted to God in my singleness, content in that life. And now I'm married, and I'm not sure how, how that works. God, the husband, who's been my husband, and now I have an earthly husband. So my mistake was that I started taking my eyes off Jesus and focusing on my husband. And uh, let me say, those are not good things. <laughs> um, but God's showing me through Ezekiel where they have a lot of idols um, set up. And, um, and it's something that God really hates because we're no longer keeping our eyes on him. So he's saying to me, and, he's, and, and for me, I have to learn the hard way. I don't learn the easy way. And I learn by experience and circumstances. So um, God is using a lot of circumstances that are difficult for me right now. But he's using those to draw me closer to him. To say, okay, Lisa, you need to seek me first in this area and this area and this area and in all the areas in the areas that I wasn't seeking him first. So now that I know where I've been going wrong, I can focus back on Jesus. Because what he showed me is, um, it's not a choice of God and my husband. I focus on God first, and everything else flows from that. Good morning, everyone. Um, Uh, as I did a little bit of study this week, um, uh, what the Lord impressed in my heart was uh, while Jesus was here with his disciples, uh, they 
they drew always drew close to him and, and paid attention to what uh, he was trying to teach them. And one thing that I saw um, that really impressed on my heart was he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and he'll never leave us orphans. Um, so he says, I'm going to leave you a helper. Lord knows I need a helper <laughs> um, every day, uh, all day long. Uh, and that helper, he says, is, is the Holy Spirit. Um, his word says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth and righteousness. And uh, um, in the book of Acts 19, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 20, uh, the Spirit came upon them and he laid hands on them and they received power. That power is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, as I was saying last week, um, how I know all of us desire to see our family members who aren't saved get saved. Um, that power uh, brings out the joy of the Lord, for one. And when people see the joy of the Lord, especially nowadays, um, they're drawn to it. And they want to know, why are you so joyful? And how can you be so joyful? You know, especially, you know, not, you know a lot of us do go through things that, that are difficult in this life. And Jesus says, you know, that we will. And when they see us full of his joy, going through these things, again, they'll be drawn to it. And, and then we can tell them, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And, and to have that power, uh, I just pray that uh, each and every one of us um, would have that power. Because... As, as I love my family members, I know you do too. Um, and if we just uh, get in God's word, um, look up who the Holy Spirit is and how, what he does in our lives, and then just pray and ask God to do that work, I, he says he will. Uh, that's just something, that's what the Lord impressed to me this week. Uh, I, I want to add something uh, in uh, real quick about, I think, the whole Holy Spirit causing uh, Chris to be sensitive yesterday because he was with us. Uh, our men's group was over uh, trying to uh, help with a, uh, a house. The, the man that um, owns a house is a deputy in uh, Alexander County, one of our members who's a deputy, and Caldwell knew him and made the connection for us to go over and try and help do some work. So we're... Uh, Primarily hauling off a lot of trash and piling things up to be burned also. Uh, the house is going to have to be just leveled. Uh, and, uh, and they didn't have any insurance uh, also uh, on, on the house at the time. So uh, anyway, Chris comes around the corner and finds me. And, of course, in with what we're hauling off, there's a lot of uh, children's toys that have been uh, damaged, destroyed, and we're hauling off and things like that. And he, he came and said, do you think we can adopt them for Christmas, more or less, is what he was saying. You know, and uh, so, so we're going to try and find out uh, the the name. Uh, the, the man that owns the house was allowing his brother to live there. So it was his brother's children. We're supposed to get a contact there, and we'll try and promote that as we get closer to Christmas to see what we can do to bless those kids uh, also. So, Chris, I appreciate you being sensitive and bringing that up. Someone else? I don't have a hair, though. <laughs> so, um, like I said before, each day I do a, a lot of devotions. This book calls with um, my ADD. I kind of go back and forth with a lot of things. But my main one I read is um, emotional health. 
uh, prayers for emotional health. And just like every week, I get smacked by a few things. And this week was uh, two different verses. It's Matthew twelve thirty seven, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And the very next day it said, Proverbs thirteen three, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens his mouth wide, he who opens his lips comes to ruin. And I wrote this down this morning. I said, by the words I speak, I can be a blessing, like Lisa said, or a curse. They can bring salvation by telling others about Jesus or telling them about how to get through something. And uh, I can bring joy and love or I can bring hate and destruction. And in my life, I've brought a lot of all of those, and especially in the last one. And I bring pain when, I, when I'm not doing what God asked me to do. So this week, I've prayed through these devotions, and I ask God to connect to correct me in any way in my heart that may, because what's in your heart, um, your words come out. Um, I ask him to help me speak, and like Chris said, the only way I can do it is to have the Holy Spirit speak for me. You know, what, what is good is going to come out if I'm doing the right things. So I just ask God to guard my heart and my mouth. So that's all I have. Somebody else. Okay. <clears throat> the, um, the devotion that I mentioned earlier by, by Charles Spurgeon, of course, that means it's a devotion been around for a long time. Uh, it means the, uh, uh, the, the Elizabeth in English is kind of going to be uh, in the devotional, not quite the way that we talk today. But as I read this devotional, it really, really just kind of grabbed my heart because it has so much in it that if you will think about it today as we go through the devotional, you ought to go away from here today knowing without any doubt that you are greatly loved. Uh, if, if you're someone that uh, has not believed yet, you've not trusted Christ as your Savior yet, hopefully you'll go away with the awareness that He loves you uh, and you'll make a decision in His direction. Uh, for those of us that already know Christ as our Savior, while we really ought to have abundant evidence that we're greatly loved, I think sometimes we get on pity parties and we face circumstances and things like that and we start acting like, well, God, have you forgot me? God, do you really love me? And everything like that. Uh, you're going to have abundant evidence, I think. All I'm going to do is read this devotional. And uh, the devotional that uh, the Spurgeon uh, put together had a little verse in front of it and a verse in the devotional. Then all the rest of it is, I just had to put the message together, bringing verses to bear that support the things that he talks about. Uh, the, the partial verse that he used to base the devotional on is Daniel being told. God sent a messenger to him. We'll talk about who that messenger was. But God sent a message to him and, and gave Daniel uh, this message. Uh, the whole verse would say, oh, Daniel, a man uh, greatly beloved, a man greatly beloved. And, and of course, Spurgeon was used in the King James. I'll use some other verses uh, as we go through it. But uh, he's simply laying the groundwork by using that partial verse that we ought to know that we are greatly loved. Look at the devotional that, that Spurgeon put together. And I'm going to read that, and then we're going to take uh, four main thoughts out of this devotional and then support it with the Scripture, support it with what the Bible has to say. Uh, child of God, do you hesitate to appropriate this title? I, I think you do that sometimes, don't you? Because you think, well, man, I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. 
And sometimes we hesitate appropriating that title to ourselves. He says, ah, has your unbelief made you forget that you are greatly beloved too? So in other words, Daniel was told that he was greatly loved. And, and he's saying, hey, we're greatly loved also in this devotional. Must you not have been greatly beloved to have been bought with the precious blood of Christ? Now, I ought to be able to stop there and you leave if you know Christ is your Savior and say, hey, yeah, I'm greatly loved. Amen? Because that's all the evidence really we need. He says, you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When God smote his only begotten son for you, what was this but being greatly beloved? You lived in sin, you righted in it. Must you not have been greatly beloved for God to have borne so patiently with you? You were called by grace and led to a savior and made a child of God and an heir of heaven. All this proves, does it not, a very great and superabounding love. A few weeks ago, we were talking about superabounding grace. You only have superabounding grace because of superabounding love. He, he continues on in, in, in this devotional. Uh, after he says, we're greatly loved because of God's mercy. Uh, we were called to grace and led to a savior, made a child of God and heir of heaven. All this proves, does it not? A very great superabounding love since that time whether your path has been rough with troubles or smooth with mercies, it has been full of proofs that you are a man or a person, a lady, greatly beloved. If the Lord has chastened you, yet not in anger, if he has made you poor, yet in grace you've been rich, the more unworthy you feel yourself to be, the more evidence you have that nothing but unspeakable love could have led the Lord Jesus to save such a soul as yours. The more demerit you feel, the clearer is the display of, a, of the abounding love of God in having chosen you and called you and made you an heir of bliss. Now, if there be such a love between God and us, let us live in the influence and sweetness of it and use the privilege of our position. Do not let us approach our Lord as though we were strangers or as though he were unwilling to hear us, for we were greatly beloved by our loving Father. And then he quotes a verse from Romans that we'll look at in the message. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Come boldly, O believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubtings of thine own heart, Thou art greatly beloved. Meditate on the exceeding greatness and faithfulness of divine love this evening and go to thy bed in peace. Man, I love that devotion. And if you didn't pick all the things out of it that's there already as I read it, I, I want to point out to you four huge main evidences that ought to convince you without any doubt, convince us, me, without any doubt today, that we are indeed greatly loved. Here's the first evidence. And it's going to sound like it's a really simple one. As believers, the fact that we are children of God is evidence that we're greatly loved. Think about that for a moment. The very fact that you've been made a child of God, the very fact 
that you are saved by God's grace. We'll talk about that more later in the message. The, the very fact that you are now a child of God, because that's what the Bible calls you if you've trusted in Jesus as Savior. The very fact that you are a child of God, that gives evidence that God loves you. That gives evidence that you are loved. We might struggle, as Spurgeon said, with that title. We may hesitate to appropriate that to our lives. We might have unbelief in our hearts, even though we're, we're Christians. We've got some doubts there is what he's saying that causes us to forget that we're greatly loved too. I want us to hang out in Daniel for a moment uh, because that partial verse that Spurgeon quoted before he did this devotional uh, is found in Daniel. So we're going to look at some other verses around that partial verse. The partial verse was in chapter 10, verse 11, that I read a moment ago, a man greatly beloved. To get some context, and, and man, if we went into the prophecy of this section of Daniel, we'd be here all week. So I'm not doing that. That's not even the intent of the message. The intent of the message is to see in the scenario of this prophecy being given to Daniel, the fact that Daniel was told that he was greatly loved. Gabriel is identified in Daniel 9.21 as speaking these words in, in Daniel 9.23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. What Gabriel is telling Daniel is this. You've been crying out. God heard you crying out. And when you were crying out, God sent word to me that I'm supposed to come see you. And I'm supposed to tell you that you're greatly loved. And that's what he does. Gabriel does that at that point. But then there's some other messages that he received. And this is where people have some questions. Well, what is that uh, Gabriel that's communicating? Is it some other angel that's sent? Or is it Jesus pre-incarnate in the flesh? Uh, I think both was taking place in this passage. But let me read to you in Daniel 10, uh, verse 10 through 12, the, the verse before and after the, uh, the text that Spurgeon used here. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now drop down in uh, verse 18 and 19 of the same chapter, chapter uh, 10 of Daniel. And the Bible says this, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly loved. Do you think Daniel will be getting the message by now? He, he's been told over and over again. Now I understand there's great prophecy that's taking place here. And I think because of the great prophecy, sometimes we don't read the practical application here of this little message that Daniel's being given that he is greatly loved by God. Because we can jump into Daniel, we want to talk about all the prophecy. That's fine. We ought to do that, but that's not the intent today. You see, the, the, he goes on and says, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. So let me cover some of that and then we'll make some quick applications. God sent a messenger, I think more than one, to Daniel to tell him 
you're greatly loved. We're told part of that was said by Gabriel. Some people say, well, was it Gabriel again all through the passage? Was it another angel? Or was it the pre-incarnate Jesus? I believe it was both. I believe it was Daniel. Well, I believe it was Gabriel because we're told Daniel says it was Gabriel. He knew it was Gabriel to start with. I also believe that there's a messenger there that's not Gabriel because in a text in that section I didn't read to you, I'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit. The messenger's telling Daniel that the archangel Michael had helped him fight against an enemy. I'll just throw this out to you. That's why I think that it was Gabriel speaking there because Jesus wouldn't need Michael to help him with an enemy. You understand that? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, okay? But there's another description that's given of this person that is giving a message to Daniel that sounds a whole lot to me like the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Now, we're not going to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and 16, but I am going to read to you the description that Daniel gives of this other person that was standing there. Here's what he says. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from the Uphaz uh, around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. That sounds a whole lot like the glorified Jesus in Revelation chapter one. So I think Gabriel was there and I think Jesus is there also. You understand that the scriptures teach that Jesus is the eternal God. He's always existed. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. And, And through the Bible, there are places that he shows up, that he reveals himself. He showed up to Abraham as being Melchizedek, that king priest, who uh, he receives an offering from uh, Abraham. He shows up later, I think, also uh, in with the uh, messengers that come by to warn Abraham that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. He shows up, I believe, as a wrestler with Jacob. When Jacob wrestles with that angel that night and he touches him and changes his name, I believe the Bible teaches that's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He shows up with Joshua and the children of Israel getting ready to go over into the promised land to fight the battle there over in the promised land. And uh, uh, Joshua is kind of pulled aside to kind of pray, I think, and prepare for going into the battle. And he looks up and he sees this uh, mighty warrior standing there. And he says, are you for us or against us? He didn't understand what was taking place. Joshua didn't because that was Jesus standing there. He says, I'm the captain of the host. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. More or less, Jesus is saying, I'm not for you or against you. I'm here to take over. I'm the one that's in charge. You, you, you see him appear in the Old Testament in, in various places. He revealed himself to Isaiah as the king on the throne and to two Jewish exiles, one in the Old Testament, that's Daniel that we're focused on this morning. And then John on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus shows up as the king of all glory. And reveals himself to them. So I think this message of love that's being given to Daniel is both from Gabriel and is from Jesus showing up and saying, hey, you are greatly loved. 
Some other things he told him. He said, don't fear. He said, stand up. You you don't have to stay trembling. Go ahead and stand up. Don't be filled with fear. He he spoke peace to him. He he said several things to him to, to encourage Daniel in that moment. He said, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And then I want you to notice how Daniel responds to all this situation that's taking place. Daniel says, and as I spoke, and as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Now I'll come back to that in just a second. Let me make some quick applications. Application number one, we're greatly loved too. Amen. Not just Daniel being told that one reason that we should understand that we're greatly loved and we should not hesitate to appropriate to us the title child of God is this God, the father did more for us than send Gabriel. God, the father did more for us than even send the pre-incarnate Jesus to tell us we're greatly loved. God sent his son, Jesus in the flesh to be nailed to a cross to pay for all of my sin and for all of your sin. And that's the abundant evidence that we have that we are greatly loved. He could have sent something less, but he didn't. God wanted to make it really clear how much he loved us. So he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. And that gives us all the evidence we should need that we're greatly loved. Through faith in Jesus, we don't have to fear God's presence. When all this was taking place, Daniel falls upon his face trembling. And that's the way we are when we think about being in the presence of holy God. But you don't have to tremble in fear in the presence of holy God because of what Jesus did for you. You have access to the very throne room of God. We can be in the presence of God and not be filled with with fear. Some other things from those passages of scripture that we just read, uh, some applications to make is this through faith in Jesus. We can understand God's words and stand upright. Uh, we were told in that passage that Daniel started trying to understand and seek God's truth and seek God's words. And we're told also that the messenger told him to stand upright. You and I as believers, because of Jesus, we can know the word of God. We can apply the word of God to our lives. And that can help us stand aright as we live our lives, as we go through life. Through faith in Jesus, we can set our hearts to understand and know God. That's what Daniel was doing. Through faith in Jesus, God hears our words and can respond to our words. God had heard Daniel crying out and, and saying, you know, God, I, I need you. We need your presence. Look what happened to us. We're here in exile. God, I need you. And God heard it and God sent a messenger to him that told him, you're a man that's greatly loved. Another application, a couple more applications is this from, from those verses that we just looked at in Daniel. Through faith in Jesus, we can have peace. I can't have peace based upon who I am and my performance. Neither can you. But I can have peace in the finished work of Jesus. I I can't have peace in the words of Jesus. I can be strengthened and, and have good courage because of Jesus. We're strengthened by God's words. Daniel said this. Daniel said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. That's the whole purpose for this series that we're doing. The whole reason for this thought of of devotion to where I'm challenging you to be consistent in your daily devotions, to be reading the Bible, reading devotion material, allowing God to speak to you. Daniel is more or less saying this. I heard my Lord speak. You've strengthened me. I want you to speak some more. 
In other words, you, what you have said to me has brought strength to me. Let my Lord speak. Because you strengthened me with your words and what you said, I've got all my ears open and I want to hear you tell me some more. See, that's the whole intent of this thing of devotion. If you will be allowing God to speak to your heart, if you'll be spending time in the word of God, I can promise you something's going to happen. You will be spiritually strengthened in your life as you allow God to speak to you. As you are spiritually strengthened in your life, you ought to have the desire and the motive to say, God, you've strengthened me in the past with what you said. God, I want to hear more. And you have more of a thirst and more of a hunger for personal devotion in your life. So you can hear God speak to you all the more from his word. Don't hesitate to appropriate the phrase child of God. That's what Spurgeon is telling us. Don't hesitate to apply that to your life because we've got all the abundance uh, evident, all the abundant evidence in the world that we are greatly loved because of what Christ has done for us. The very fact that you're a Christian should prove to you that you're greatly loved. Here's the second evidence. Second evidence that Spurgeon alludes to and brings up in, in this devotional that, that I was reading is this. As believers, the method that God made us children of God is evidence that we're greatly loved. In other words, the process, the method, the way God has made us, his children, should give us all the evidence that we need that we are greatly loved by God. We're going to break that down in three ways. First of all, the method that made us children of God is redemption. Is redemption through the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Christ. Here's the way Spurgeon put it. Must you not have been greatly beloved to have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot? When God smote his only begotten son for you, what was this but being greatly loved? He's more or less saying, hey, here's the main thing. Here's the main point. Here's the full evidence that you're greatly loved by God. The precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. The fact that God chose to smite his own son. Look at some verses that support that. First Peter chapter one, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, the Jews were trying to work their way to heaven. They had a bunch of religiousity. They were trying to apply and follow in their lives. But it said... It, he goes on that you inherited that from your father, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. That's not how you've been ransomed. But instead, he said, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Can I suggest something to you that you need to extremely guard in your heart? Never, ever, ever get over the fact that Jesus shed his precious blood for you. Some of you have heard me tell this before. The first church that was dealing with, with, with me, to be, for me to be the first time I had the chance to be a full-time pastor, they were dealing with me and, and they had had somebody else preach a trial message. Churches shouldn't do this, by the way. But they had somebody preach a, preach a trial message and they had me to preach a trial message uh, and within a matter of a couple of weeks of each other. Church should never do that because you're going to have one person in competition with another. 
That should never happen. You do it one person at a time. You see, if that's God's person, if that's not God's person, you move on to the next. But that's the way they were doing it. And the strange thing is they voted me um, in. They actually had a vote on that fellow. They voted me in by the same percentage that they had not voted him in. And uh, and everything. So that let me know the church was polarized, one thing, that it let me know. But I was talking to them later, and they were talking about the message that I had brought. And they made a statement that I wound up throwing back to, to that committee. And they said, well, the you know, the, the pastor, the couple of weeks before, I mean, he preached a fine message and everything. But he didn't tell us anything we already knew. He, he, he said he, he, he talked about the crucifixion of Jesus, and we already knew that. I wanted to smack him. <laughs> I never did, even as their pastor, I never did. Don't you ever take as common the message of Jesus crucified. Just because I might have said something a little bit different, a little bit more expanded, a little bit more creative or whatever, that, you know, that, that two weeks later, hey, don't ever take for granted the message of the cross and the precious blood of Jesus that redeemed you from your sins. He, he was a lamb that was without blemish and without spot. When they would kill a sacrificial lamb, they would look on the outside to be sure it was perfect on the outside. They would inspect the inside parts after it was killed to be sure it was perfect on the inside. No disease or anything before they offered it on the altar. You want to know why they did that? Because that lamb was a type and a picture of Jesus, who's a sinless, perfect lamb of God who went to the cross for our sins. If you want evidence that you're loved, the only evidence that we really need is this. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for us. And and Isaiah tells us that God smote him. Surely he, talking in advance about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus, surely he, talking about Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we, we are healed. You need to understand this. God loved you so much that he chose. He could have planned a different way. Could have been Gabriel or somebody else. But he chose to send his son, his beloved son, to be smitten of God, is the way the Bible puts it, on the cross for our sins. He took my punishment for me on the cross. Now, guys, let me put that in perspective for you. God, know in my heart, I think I can say I love every one of you here. But God, also know in my heart, I'm human. And I'll not smite my son for you. Or one of my other children for you. I'll not smite my children for you because I love my children. You smite my children, I might smite you. Do you see, I don't have that perfect love that God has. God loves you so much. He smote his own son. That's the way Spurgeon put it. To give us abundant evidence that God loves us, that God cares for us. Not only the precious blood of Jesus, but also the method that made us children of God involves the mercy of God. It involves the blood of, of Christ being shed But it involves the mercy of God. Here's what Spurgeon said, the way he phrased it. You lived in sin and rioted in it. Can anybody identify with that statement? That's who we were, and that's what we were doing. 
It's not like we just sin a little bit, but y'all realize we have people of different degrees and things like that when it comes to, to, to sin. But some of us ride it in it, you know? You get the image of that for a minute. You see some of the rides taking place because of Antifa and, and whatever that's supposed to mean and things like that on the, on, on the news. You, you see all that taking place and, and the uprest. Hey, that's the way some of us were with our sin. You know, we were rioting in it. He said, you lived in sin and rioted in it. Must you not have been greatly beloved for God to have borne so patiently with you? In other words, God put up with a lot with some of us. <laughs> you know, we, we, we kept on and we kept on and we kept on. God, because he's just and holy, the very first time I rebelled against God, he could have been just and holy to have condemned me right then to eternity separated from him. But he didn't do that. Why? Because of his mercy. Look at what's said here in Ephesians. And if you're turning your Bible, just kind of hang out there because we're going to talk about grace in a minute and just keep reading in Ephesians. You are dead in trespasses and sin. Our culture doesn't like that. You may not like that, but I don't really care because the Bible tells me, and I have to apply this to myself, that I was dead in trespasses and sin. That's where I was. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Fallen the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who I once was. If you're a Christian now, that's who you once were. If you're not a Christian now, that's who you are now. But for those of us that are Christians... I'm glad the verse, the passage keeps going. Thank God for verse four, amen? But God, (laughs) but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And we'll get on over in Ephesians in a minute. Look at verse four. Even though we deserve punishment, we deserved hell, we, we, we righted in our sin, God, what, what does it say about his mercy? He's what in mercy? Rich. Man, I'm glad he was rich in mercy because I would have run out the bank account if he wasn't rich in mercy. Because I needed a lot of mercy. Some of you needed a lot of mercy more than others. Some maybe didn't need it as much, but everybody needed his mercy. He was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The Bible is telling us you ought to know you're greatly loved because God was merciful with you. Because you had the opportunity to stay alive in this world until you had faith in Jesus. That ought to encourage us to know that we're loved. Not just because of the mercy of God, but also the grace of God. The method that made us children of God is by the grace of God. By that precious shed blood of Jesus, that took place because of the mercy and because of the grace of God. Spurgeon put it like this. You were called by grace and led to a savior. You and made a child of God and an heir of heaven. All this proves, does it not, a very great and super abounding love that God has for us. He called us by grace. He didn't call us because we were lovely. He didn't call us to himself because we deserved to go to heaven. It was in spite of ourselves. 
Mercy that we just talked about is God not giving us what we deserve. I deserve punishment. You deserve punishment. We deserve separation from God for all eternity. But in his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserve. His grace has God given us what we could never, ever deserve. And that is salvation full and free in the finished work of Christ. You were called by grace, led to a savior, made a child of God in an heir of heaven. Let's keep reading in Ephesians where we were a moment ago. By grace... By the unmerited favor of God, by you not being able to deserve it, earn it, or anything else, by God's free volitional will, by God's choice, by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace and unmerited favor, you've been saved through him. And this isn't your own doing. It's not your performance. It's not your good works. Instead, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Spurgeon said we've been led to the Savior because of grace, and we've been given the immeasurable riches of God's grace. That's what God has done for you if you're a Christian. You shouldn't be doubting whether or not God loves you. He loves you so much. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for you. He was merciful and he put up with you until you came to the point you believed in Christ as your Savior. And because of God's grace, he views you right now today as though you're seated with Jesus already in all the reaches of heaven that one day you will be part of your inheritance in Christ. God looks at it as though it's yours already. It's a pretty good message, huh? We should not be doubting whether or not we're loved because we have abundant evidence that he loves us. Evidence number three. I cannot begin to tell you how much I love this thought. (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, I've been guilty of the opposite view of it, I think, sometimes. See, sometimes when you feel unworthy, by you feeling unworthy to be a child of God, Satan uses that to beat you up. Satan uses that to make you withdraw and go into a shell and and feel like you can't do anything for God. You might as well not try and serve Jesus because you feel so unworthy. But really, as believers, our own feelings of unworthiness provides evidence that we're greatly loved. Have you ever thought about it like that? Look, Look at the way Spurgeon put it in his devotional. Since that time, whether your path has been rough with troubles or smooth with mercies, he said, no matter whether you've had bumpy roads or whatever you've had as a Christian, he's saying it's still been proof, uh, full of proofs that you are a man greatly beloved. He says that the Lord is chasing you, yet not in anger. If he's made you poor, yet in grace, you've been made rich. But then notice this, the more unworthy you feel yourself to be, the more evidence have you that nothing but unspeakable love could have led the Lord Jesus to save such a soul as yours. Man, isn't that an amazing thought? You've probably done like I've done. You feel unworthy, and instead of it being a positive thing, that's been a big negative thing. Spurgeon is encouraging us to think about it in a different way, in a different format. 
the more unworthy that I feel, the more evidence that is that God must really love me because I'm so unworthy. Amen? He goes on and says, the more demerit you feel, the, the more X's you have against your life, the more negative things that you have, the more demerit you feel, the clearer is the display of the abounding love of God in having chosen you and called you and made you an heir of bliss. Now let's look at some verses that kind of support that. He talked about God's correction, Spurgeon did in that passage. We may not like correction, but when God corrects us, it just gives us evidence that we're really his child. Hebrews says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's what the English Standard Version, you want what the King James calls us? If we're not corrected by God when we claim to be his, but he never ever corrects us, the King James says we're bastards and not really his children. That's what, that's what, I'm not cussing this morning. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. If you're really a child of God and he chastens you, that doesn't mean he dislikes you, that he's against you. That's evidence of the fact that he really, really, really loves you. Let me illustrate that. When, when I would tell my children no about certain things, I wasn't doing it to be some mean spoil sport. I didn't tell my children, hey, don't go play in the street trying to limit their freedom in their life. I was telling them don't go play in the street because I didn't want them to be killed by a car coming by and running over their body. I mean, that's just an illustration. I probably had other rules that they thought our dad is crazy. But I wasn't doing it to be mean to them. I was doing it because I loved them and I was wanting the best for them in, in their life. God's the same way. If you're his child, he's going to correct you and chasten you. If you think you're his child and you're living any way you want to and he never chastens you or corrects you, you might need to back up and think whether you really know him or not. Because if you're his child, he will correct us. But he, he also talked about this. He talked about feelings of unworthiness. We may feel unworthy, but that feeling also means the all-knowing God. See, think about that. You feel unworthy? You don't even have a full perspective of yourself. God sees you better than you see yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. He's the all-knowing God. We may feel unworthy, but that feeling also means the all-knowing God loves us in spite of our unworthiness. The fact that you feel unworthy, as I said a moment ago, ought to be a positive thing because that means, man, I'm, I'm really, really unworthy. He must really, really love me. Have you ever felt like this? What's well, found here in Psalms? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. In other words, you're looking at all the grandeur that God's created. And then you start looking at yourself and you say, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Honest, look at, look at our little lives against all the creation, all the universe that he's made. And yet he loves us because Jesus died for us, not those planets, not those stars. He died for us. Here's the way the, the apostle Paul put it about his own unworthiness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 89. Last of all, as one untimely born, 
he appeared to me, talking about Jesus appearing to him. For I am the least of the disciples, there's that word, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul himself, that God used to write more in the New Testament than anyone else, said, hey, I'm unworthy. He goes on in 1 Timothy and kind of hits a similar theme. In verse 15 and 17, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then Paul kind of breaks into a praise based upon what he just said. He, then he thinks about what he just said. And he says, to the king of ages, uh, ages immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If we would think about how God views us, if we would think about how much God loves us and the evidence that we have, we ought to break into that same type of praise. A man to him be eternal glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords forever and ever. Do you notice what Paul said about himself? He said, I'm unworthy, but God called me for this reason. <laughs> so the one that was known to persecute the church, persecute Christians, even to death, going out having them arrested. The one that had this bad reputation that people knew about. Hey, do you remember after he met Jesus there on the road and he was blinded and he was told to go to Ananias' house and Ananias gets a message from God that, that Paul's coming and I says, I've heard about him. I don't know if I want him coming to my house or not. He's going to arrest me. He's going to take me off, have me crucified or something. So Paul had this big, bad reputation being against Christianity. Paul said, I'm unworthy. But God called me with his mercy and his grace so I can be abundant evidence to a lost and dying world what Jesus can do in my life. Some of you that's been through a lot in your life, some of you think you've been really, really bad and you're really, really unworthy. I got news for you. All of us are unworthy. All of us are unworthy. But God can take all of that broken past and he can use it as a display of his glory in a lost world. He can use it in that way. Don't let your feelings of unworthiness be something negative. Instead, understand this. The more unworthy you feel, that means the greater he loved you. Amen? Isn't that a great thought, a great way to look at that? One, one last evidence today. As, as believers, as believers, we should live our lives in the confidence of God's love. Spurgeon said this. Now, if there be such love between God and us, let us live in the influence and sweetness of it and use the privilege of our position. Do not let us approach our Lord as though we're strangers or as though he were unwilling to hear us. For we are greatly beloved by our loving Father. He that spared not his own son, he's quoting out of Romans 8. We'll read some of that in a moment. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Come boldly, O believer, despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubtings of thine own heart. Thou art greatly loved. Meditate on the exceeding greatness and faithfulness of divine love this evening and go to thy bed in peace. Man, if it were not for the grace and the mercy and the love of God, I could never lay down with peace at night. But because of that, we can. Let me read through Romans 8 and and then make a couple of quick applications and we're done. What should we say then to these things? This ought to be, by the way, one of your favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible, if you know Christ as your Savior. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, this is the verse that Spurgeon quoted, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised at the right hand of God, who, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, here's the thought that he's given. God's on your side. He sent Jesus to die for you. Jesus is on your side. He died for you. He's at the right hand of God praying for you. By the way, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So who is it that is against you if you're a believer? It's not God the Father. It's not Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's Satan that's against you. Who cares? God's for me. Jesus is for me. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We're talking about you and I understanding we're loved by God today. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we're being killed all the day long for we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who did what? Loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, three, three or four quick applications from Spurgeon's devotional. We need to live our lives in the influence of God's love. Living your life in the influence of God's love doesn't mean that you just know in your head that God loved you and Jesus died for you. That means as you are living your life day to day, constantly remind yourself that God loves you, that Jesus loves you. No matter what you're facing, focus on the fact that God loves you and Jesus loves you. Because Satan's going to be whispering the opposite in your ear. We need to taste the sweetness of God's love. God's love needs to be something that we, that we feed upon, that we taste how sweet it is and allow it to influence our lives. You ever been in a bakery somewhere and you're looking over here and, uh, you know, especially for me, me being borderline diabetic and stuff, but there's this really nice looking dessert that's kind of calling my name over here. And it's behind the glass and they've got it lit up trying to make it look as pretty as it can and everything like that. But you're there looking at it and you think to yourself, I bet that tastes really good. You want to know how you find out? You taste it. And some of you may feel like you're on the outside of the case looking in, and you're thinking to yourself, 
the, the grace of God, the love of Jesus and everything, that sounds really good. Here's one way you can know. You taste it. You, you trust in it. You, you taste it. We need to approach God in the confidence of his love. That's one thing that Spurgeon was encouraging us to do. We need to ignore Satan's lies. When I spell it, I was just putting it in the way that Spurgeon had it earlier. If I'm spelling it myself, not quoting somebody else, I spell Satan with a little S. I'm not going to give him the dignity of a big S. Ignore Satan's lies. He is, he's a liar. Some of you might think this is a little bit coarse, but I still love it. I see it on some biker helmets and things like that from time to time. Satan sucks. That's true. (laughs) Ignore Satan's lies in your own doubtful heart, knowing you're greatly loved. If you're a Christian, what we read just a moment ago in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ. So the message today is simply this. I know I went around the long way taking that devotional, but I hope you agree with me. Was that not an amazing two or three paragraphs that Spurgeon wrote? I mean, it was just tremendous to my life when he broke it down like that. You are loved. You have evidence of being loved because you're a child of God. If in fact, you're a child of God. The method God used to make you a child of God, the precious blood of Jesus, his mercy and his grace, that ought to convince you that you're loved. Hey, the more unworthy you feel, instead of that being a bad negative thing that beats you up, the more unworthy you feel, hey, he must really love me because I'm bad, you know. I'm I'm unworthy. He must really, really love me because I'm so unworthy. He must love me all the more than I even realized. And then we need to live our lives under the influence of that love. Day in and, and day out, we need to live our lives because we're, we're greatly loved. I hope you don't ever get the wrong idea because of what God did to Jesus and think, well, the Father must not really love the Son that much. Well, yes, He did because He said in Matthew, this is my beloved Son who I'm greatly pleased in. I'm very much pleased in Him. Jesus said this, though. Listen to this amazing thing Jesus said in John 17, 23. I and them, and you and me. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer to the Father. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. That's his prayer for us as believers. So that the world may know that you've sent me. But notice this, what he says. And loved them. Even as you loved me. Think about that. Jesus is saying that the Father loves us even as much as he loves his own son. Don't listen to the whispers of Satan, don't listen to your own doubts. If you are a child of God, you need to walk around in the influence of the truth that God greatly loves you. And if you're not a Christian, you can be. I promise you that God loves you. I promise you that he loved you so much as an individual, if there were no one else to be redeemed, he put his son on a cross 
for you. And if you've never ever trusted in Christ, and if you're struggling with life right now, thinking no one cares, God does. He proved it. Why not take him and his word and trust in him? Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Forgive us when we start having our pity parties and we start acting like you don't really care for us, you don't really love us. I know we live in a world that's filled with hurts and uh, we've got circumstances and, and Satan and everything else wanting to whisper in our, wor- in our, in our ears and in our, in our heart that, that no one really cares. Father, if there's someone in this place that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray somehow today through this message, you've helped them to see the love that you have for them, that you sent your son to shed his precious blood for their sins in their place, that you've been merciful with them to this point and you've allowed them to be alive and you've allowed them to be in this place this morning, and that you have grace for them, your unmerited favor. You will save them by your grace if they'll call upon you. But Father, also during this time of invitation, those of us that know without any doubt Christ is our Savior, Father, I pray you help us to celebrate. Help us to sing aloud and celebrate the fact that you love us as we have this invitation time. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and God is drawing you to himself, Please come and let us know. We'll take time. We'll have someone else take time to share with you, to pray with you about what it means to become a Christian and trust Christ. If you already know him, hey, God loves you. Let's celebrate that during the invitation. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.